The reading is taken from Matthew chapter 15 and reading verses 10 to 28. Then he called the crowd to him and said to them, listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees took offence when they heard what you said? He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if one blind person guides another, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. And then he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he didn't answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. Amen. Quite a number of years ago now, uh, just a year before our first son was born, uh, my wife and I had a year from hell. Um, so many things went wrong that year. I'm not going to tell you about them all, but it included two members of our family who were seriously ill, one of them terminally. It really was our Annus Horribilis. And we decided near the end of the year that we needed to get away from it all. And we found a cheap and cheerful package holiday to Spain. We'd never been to Spain before. And even though it was a tourist hotspot, we were expecting Spain to be, well, Spanish. And we were quite surprised that we were in some kind of pseudo-Spanish Britain with fish and chips and ham and eggs and all the bars were playing football and only fools and horses. And they were doing it all day on enormous TVs. It was almost as if British people didn't really like Spain being too foreign. And we decided to explore all the stereotypical parts of our culture and graft it onto mainland Spain for us to go to. Sadly, that's not too far from what really happened, I think. 
we Brits are seriously bad at thinking our culture is better than, than everybody else's and therefore everybody else should be the same as us. And strangely enough, our gospel reading today seems eerily familiar to this holiday experience. Jesus and his disciples had travelled about 40 miles north away from Galilee to Tyre and Sidon in Phoenicia, from modern day northern Israel to Lebanon. And it seems that they weren't very good at being guests in somebody else's land either. Uh, you know, I really don't like the Jesus that's portrayed in this reading. It doesn't sound like the Jesus I normally preach about in church. Usually when I, when I preach, I, I talk about this lovely Jesus who's all-inclusive and welcoming, and especially to those whom the world regards as not worthy or other. And I finally find it deeply uncomfortable that the Jesus in today's reading uh, sounds like a misogynistic racist and that his disciples don't even seem to be phased by this. They seem totally okay with this strange judgmental Jesus that we're really not used to. For a start, Jesus completely ignores a woman who's clearly in distress about her daughter, who's obviously ill. Uh, normally, Jesus heals people at the drop of a hat just because he's moved by people's anguish. We told many, many times throughout the Gospels that Jesus had compassion for people and was moved to do something. And here, Jesus is plainly ignoring someone, as if he didn't care less. And secondly, we're confronted by a group of disciples who also show a distinct lack of compassion. Disciples who are acting racist, disciples who think they're better than everyone else, disciples who are annoyed by the presence of others in, from outside in their little group. And we want to have the disciples sitting earnestly at the feet of Jesus, learning from him and showing the love of God to others in need. But we would be really seriously twisting the text if we were to say that. This is a deeply, deeply uncomfortable passage and we need to sit with the discomfort of it if we're going to learn from it. It would be very easy to preach a sermon that immediately explains all of this away, all this discomfort. But that wouldn't really remain true to the text that's there. So I'll try and avoid that temptation. So perhaps Jesus had gone on holiday. Perhaps he'd gone to Tyre and Sidon to get away from the Jewish regions and all those needy people and his usual day-to-day. -day. And Tyre is right next to the sea, so he'd gone to the seaside. Perhaps he needed to get away from the fame and the pressure to perform all the time. I get that. We all need rest sometimes to get away from the phone calls and the emails, the social media and the instant messages. I've just had two weeks away from all that, and it was blissful. But Jesus and his disciples were not going to get any rest here. An annoying foreigner, a Canaanite woman, was shouting at them for help. She was not a Jew, but a Gentile, and not a man either. She was a woman, and no self-respecting woman would talk to a man the way she was talking to Jesus let alone a Gentile woman, talking first to a Jewish man before being spoken to. This is a deeply, 
deeply uncomfortable situation. All the social rules are being broken here and everyone, disciples, Jesus and the woman, are outside of their comfort zones. And what is Jesus' response? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. How could Jesus appear so indifferent to the genuine anguish of another human being? Well, we can come up with all sorts of theologies and explanations, theologies that defend Jesus from looking bad in our eyes. But the truth is that in the text, it doesn't give us any idea what Jesus is, is thinking at all. We don't know what was going on in Jesus' mind at that very moment. But the disciples read into it. Uh, they, they, they think that Jesus can't be bothered with people who are outside of their chosen group. And they display annoyance at the woman, thinking that they are mirroring Jesus' own emotions. They were saying, send her away. She keeps shouting at us. I get that. Uh, but they didn't really want anything to do with this woman who was outside their religion, this woman who was outside their clique. And they assumed that Jesus had the same opinion too. And I think, so have I, I've got that opinion. To be honest, he does come across as enormously rude. Firstly, he says, uh, he's only there for the lost sheep of Israel. And secondly, he said, it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. <clears throat> yes, he calls her a dog. And what a cruel and humiliating reply to her. This doesn't appear to be the Jesus I like, or, or most likable, or that is most compassionate. But this woman's feisty, and she's not prepared to give up. She throws Jesus' words right back in his face. Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I think she is very sarcastically saying, surely there's enough to go around for everyone. Jesus' response is surprising, given his initial rudeness and misogyny. Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you just as you wish. Her daughter is healed. And here is the controversial message in this story, I think. The woman had not been converted. She had not come to faith in Jesus in the sense that she wanted to be his follower or that she was prepared to forsake her Gentile heritage and come within the boundaries of the Jewish religion. Culturally, she remained exactly where she was. And she asked Jesus to reach out into her cultural setting and meet her there. So, who is challenged and stretched in this story? The woman? No. It is Jesus whose identity, his very identity, I think, is challenged. Who is converting who in this passage? The truth is, there is a, a strange sense in, in which the woman is converting Jesus, not the other way around. Jesus is having to enlarge the boundaries of his mission to encompass the outsider. It is not the case that the outsider comes in and within Jesus' preset mission boundaries. And, and that, I think, is what is so radical about this passage and what gives such a, a sense of a challenge for us today. The temptation for us is to expect others to come and join us. But join us on our terms, not their terms. 
we want new people in church and we want people to become Christians and we will offer them the hand of, hand of friendship and welcome them. But ultimately, we want them to join us and become just like us and to play by our rules and our way. Isn't that the story of the Christian church throughout history? Isn't that just like the British culture too? You are welcome to join, but there are rules of belief and rules of behaviour and you will be assimilated. Resistance is futile. In this story, Jesus reaches out and meets the woman in her culture. He doesn't ask her to join the club. He doesn't set any provisos for the welcome. He just accepts her. Well, well, he eventually accepts her just as she is. And then he shows compassion and grace and allows her to continue in her own cultural way of being. But more than that, it appears that Jesus and his disciples are open to learning from this woman from another culture. They don't just tolerate the difference, they are actively engaged in it. They are prepared to be challenged by it and allow themselves to grow through this cross-cultural interaction. Perhaps in our post-COVID new normal, uh, this should be the mentality of our church too. Maybe this should be the mentality of our country as well. Not to expect everyone to be like us at home and abroad. Not to expect everyone in our churches to be like us, a church that doesn't put boundaries around itself, but instead is prepared to dismantle those boundaries and to get rid of the idea of us and them and proactively choose to learn from those with different ideas. All that so we can grow together as the people of God with all our differences. I said it was a deeply uncomfortable passage and I believe that to be true. And it's not just uncomfortable because we don't really like the arrogance of the disciples. It's not just uncomfortable because we struggle with a side of Jesus we don't like. But ultimately it's uncomfortable because we are confronted with the idea that this outsider should teach Jesus and to teach the disciples and to teach us. Teach us what it means to embrace wideness, the wideness of God's grace and mercy. It's uncomfortable because we are confronted with the reality that we have a great deal to learn from those we think of as outsiders. And if we want to be truly Christ-like, we have to embrace the otherness of difference. Not so they can become like us, but so we can learn about God from them. And it seems that there is actually no alternative to this, because this is what Christ is like, and this is what we have to be if we want to be disciples of Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.